Hello, welcome to our Lighthouse podcast. We hope that this message brings inspiration and intent to your day. What have you got planned for the weekend? Family things, Easter eggs as I hear from everybody. Um, great food, good chance to catch up with your family. We, we appreciate having you here. I think one of the things for us at Lighthouse is we really, particularly for me, if you ask me what's one of my passions, uh, one of my passions is to ensure that everybody that is in and around my life, and this is part of my life, that everybody sees themselves included in faith. I think unfortunately somewhere along the line, uh, faith that we talk about sometimes has unintentionally felt a little bit exclusive rather than inclusive. And I actually see life more as a, a journey you walk out rather than just a moment in time, which means uh, if we're made in the image of God, God knows us and understands us, that at any point in our life we can be walking with God. Sometimes we do that well, sometimes we don't do that so well. But while we may move in and out of relationship with God, I really don't see God moving in and out of us. He's always into us. He always wants to be around us. And so we want to continue with just uh, this series over the, uh, from Friday to Sunday and just obviously celebrating Easter, but just giving it a little bit of a different perspective. On Friday, we talked a lot about living under law or living by grace, and I want to continue that a theme a little bit uh, today, if I can. Uh, I want to read uh, from a scripture, however you've got that today. You might have a device or your Bible or you can Google it. Uh, Luke 7.36, of course, it'll be on the screen as well. And I do, I, on Friday, I talked about amazing grace and God's grace is amazing. And I uh, used the example, actually, I was at a Coldplay uh, concert uh, in 2016. Annette and I were there in Sydney and off the back of one of their songs, uh, they transitioned into uh, Amazing Grace, actually, Coldplay did. It's not normally a song they would do. It's not what I sort of expected. But what was amazing about it was, excuse the pun there, what was amazing about Amazing Grace was that 80,000 people in that stadium uh, began to sing, without anybody asking, they began to sing Amazing Grace. And it was quite a phenomenal uh, sound, actually, particularly, I, know, I mean, I know I was there as a Christian. I'm sure there were others, but by and large, probably not. But something you could eat, you could something was uh, uh, palatable in the in that stadium. We I could almost sense there's something about human nature. We all kind of know at some level, and I think Amazing Grace the song brings it out. We all kind of know at some level we don't match up, but we also know or hope at another level that there's a way out or there's hope. I think that's embedded in human psyche, and it's one of the ways that people discover God and faith is the gap between the reality of us not living up to a standard, certainly a holy God, and often we feel unholy, to God's great uh, pathway that he chose, which is what we celebrate this weekend, which is in order for us to have a relationship with God, we do that through what Jesus Christ did by uh, dying on a cross, but not staying there, rising again. And in Luke 7, 36, can I read to you just a few unusual stories in the Bible? A few scandalous stories, and I'm going to start with a really big one uh, at, at the front end of this gathering today, something that I think is highly unusual and the way in which Jesus handled it. So, afterwards, Simeon, a Jewish religious leader, asked Jesus to his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation, as Jesus often did, by the way, and when he went to Simeon's home, he took his place at the table 
I do think it's worthwhile, and that's going to do it as well. I want to remind you uh, of the image God gives to you about the relationship he wants. We said this just a few weeks ago. We've been talking about the why of everything here at Lighthouse. And some people, I think, wrongly think that the image of their relationship with God is that God has got you in a classroom and he's going to teach you something. Or the image you have of God is that it's a military academy and God's going to train you for a fight. But actually, the biblical image God has of your relationship with him is, in fact, a table. And God says this. He says, I have prepared a table for you and there's a seat ready. And we should come and eat and we should talk about life. I want to feed you. I want to provide for you. It's very important because the, the world misinterprets God's intention for you and I. And if you could see that as the image of the relationship God wants, rather than all the other ones we often get caught in, it'll help you gradually move towards God, not feel like you've got to protect yourself from God. In verse 37, it says, In the neighborhood there was an immoral woman of the streets. What a lovely title. Known to all to be a prostitute. I said it was going to be an unusual one. And when she heard that Jesus was at Simeon's house... She took an exquisite flask made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the home of the Jewish leader, and in front of all the guests, she knelt at the feet of Jesus. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with the tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over, she kissed Jesus' feet, then as an act of worship, she opened her flask and anointed his feet with costly perfume. When Simeon saw what was happening, of course, as a religious leader, he thought, this man can't be a true prophet. If it were really a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman is touching him. What a scandal. Can you picture that for a moment, how awkward that... My team tease me because they think I do awkward well. I mean, I find myself in lots of awkward scenarios, but nothing like this. And Jesus is just um, exhibiting one of the many awkward scenarios he has. It's worth noting that while Simeon is freaking out, he's indignant about the scenario, he's upset, it's worth noting that Jesus is not phased by it whatsoever. It's important to know that when we're talking about not just amazing grace, but scandalous and extraordinary grace, my goal for you today is to not leave here feeling like in any way as a result of what you've done or who you've become, in any way seeing yourself outside of the grace of God, there's no such thing. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you've said, there is always room for God's grace to include you. And this is an outstanding situation, a uh, confronting situation, albeit an embarrassing situation. And as we talked this morning about grace, I want you to see yourself included. If you feel like you already are, I want you to uh, embrace that even more. If you feel like you're outside of that, I want you to start including yourself in that today. Here's the thing. Jesus saw the indignation on Simeon, the Pharisee's face, and this is what he said. He said, Simeon, I have something to say to you. What I like about Jesus is whenever you look down your nose at somebody else, whenever you compare yourself or you think, thank God I'm not them or I would never do that or I don't like uh, them and I like what I am, 
And whenever we do that judgment thing, Jesus always is ready to say, I've got something to say to you. He's always ready because we might have momentarily forgot, but he reminds us if it wasn't for the grace of God, none of us could worship like we did today, walk freely into this place. You know, we've been uh, doing youth housing, homeless youth housing for over 20 years here at Lighthouse. We've taken hundreds of young people off the street and put them through our program, seen them uh, turn their lives around, get jobs, family, etc. It's something we've done for many years. Whenever I speak publicly to the community out there and remind them about what we do and what goes on, I often use this line because it's, it's, that ministry has helped me understand something about me, which is I listen to the abuse that's gone on in their life, I listen to the trauma, and it always reminds me, if I had lived that life as well, it's quite possible that I too would be homeless, but by the grace of God. And I think it's worth having perspective sometimes that it's very easy, particularly as we grow in our faith, it's very easy to look down the nose, our nose at someone else and think to ourselves, we're not like that. But it, the Bible says that if we've broken one law of God, we've broken them all. And so as Jesus said to him, Simeon, I have something to say to you. This is what he said. Let me tell you the story that Jesus gave Simeon. He said, Simeon, imagine there's two people. One of them owes 500 pieces of silver, the other owes 50. Neither of those two have the ability or the finance to repay the person they owe those two amounts on, two separate people, 50 and 500. Simeon, I want you to tell me, the person that is owed the money to has decided to forgive the debt and has said to those two people, you no longer have to repay. Simeon, which one of those two people is going to love the person more? And Simeon said, well, I guess based on your story, the person that was forgiven the most amount of 500, they're going to be most thankful. And this is what Jesus answers in verse 47. He says, she has been forgiven all, not just the one that were obvious today, but all of her many sins. And this is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love me very little. And then Jesus says to the woman, he looks at her at his feet and he says, all, not some, not this one, not the one everyone knows about, but all of your sins are forgiven. It's a pretty powerful thing. It's a pretty amazing thing. I don't like sin and I'm not looking forward for it in my life, but I have it. And what I'm thankful about sin is, wherever I live, that will be evident. I will have it in my life till the day I die. I'm not encouraging it, I'm not promoting it, but it's my human nature. What it does for me is it reminds me how much I need the extravagant grace of God. It reminds me that even though I'm saved, I can lift my head high, chest out, I can walk freely. I'm conscious that though I don't want sin, sin is a reminder. It's a, it's a love gauge for Jesus. I never want to think, I never want to think, thank goodness I'm not that bad. <clears throat> Our great and heinous list of sins, or yours. Do not discount us from God's grace. Instead, they reveal our need for grace. Apostle Paul put it this way, wherever sin increases, grace increases all the more. In fact, I want to put it this way this morning, if we talk about law and grace, like we were on Friday, let me give you this statement. Law condemns the best of us, but grace saves the worst of us. 
Can I use another example of scandalous grace this morning? Luke chapter 18 and 19. Not, uh, not, chronolo- not chronologically in order, although they're chapter after chapter. They didn't happen a week after each other or anything like that. But I do believe this. I do believe that the Holy Spirit put them together because they're two stories that help us understand what we're talking about today. And the first one is in Luke 18, which is the rich young leader. We all have kind of heard that story. If you've been around faith a bit, you've heard that story. And he asks a question of Jesus, which is very interesting. This is what he says. He says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a very clear statement. He already, Jesus can pick up, so can we, that he already thinks he's pretty good. He's already uh, obviously successful in some way. He's young and he's wealthy already. He considers himself to be somebody who uh, he probably thinks he's employable. He's going to go to the top pretty quickly or already has. And Jesus doesn't answer like I would expect. Jesus doesn't do the normal evangelism thing that he should do, which is, hey, you should um, uh, follow me. I'm the guy that's going to forgive you and you, it, it, I'm here for a whole new thing. It's a new covenant. Not all. He didn't do all that stuff. He wasn't v- very evangelical like Jesus normally is. In fact, you know what he does? He turns around and gives this young leader the law. He gives him the law. I mean, is it, Jesus, isn't this the thing you're here to correct or make right? And he says to the young man, he says, sure, you got it. What, what must you do to inherit eternal life? Here's what you must do. Don't commit murder. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Honour your father and mother. And with a great smile on his face, he says to Jesus, says, all of these I've done. I've done every one of those. You've got to be careful when you want to base your relationship with God and faith on how good you are. It's a danger. You've got to be careful of the trap that you've been saved so long that at least you're not as bad as you used to be. You've got to be careful that you entertain the thought at any point that your goodness is equal to God's goodness. And because he was uh, asking a law question, he got a law answer. And Jesus said to him as a result, Jesus said, I've just got one more thing. The problem is if you're trying to make your faith built upon your good nature, then Jesus says this, there's just one more thing. There's always one more thing with Jesus. And he says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to sell everything you've got. And I need to give all your possession. I need you to give all your possessions to the poor. We know the story. Know that in that moment, because you know what, there was one law. Because he's living by the law. There's one law he is missing. You shall have no other god, including money, mammon, than me. And when he heard that one, and he knew that that one, the others were easy. Seemingly, he didn't have a weakness for those things. But this one, his weakness, his challenge. In that moment, he, the Bible says he walked away disappointed. Hold that picture for a moment. Chapter 19, Zacchaeus, we've been talking a little bit about him the last few weeks, or Zacchaeus, however you want to say it. He's also very rich, but he got rich cheating people on their taxes. That's how he got rich. And we know the story. He's a little guy, remember? He's just a little guy, about this big. Let's not go there. Um, And and so he was curious enough about Jesus. He heard things. Uh, He sees the crowd, but he doesn't want to be seen. He sees Jesus, but he doesn't want to be seen. So he climbs a tree and the crowd's coming through. Jesus is there. And of all the people that Jesus chooses, Jesus does the table thing again. And he points to Zacchaeus in the tree and says, today, buddy, we're going to have lunch together. And he comes down from the tree and they have lunch together. Everybody dislikes Zacchaeus. In fact, they can't stand him. What a scandal. 
Jesus has just created by, by inviting the most hated person, inviting himself to his house of all the people. Can you imagine the indignation of the crowd? Can you imagine not just the religious people, just, you've just got to be human to go, why would Jesus have lunch with that guy? These two stories are important because what we see is two men who were rich, one who appeared to, according to everybody else, who was the young, rich young leader, surely he was more deserving of grace. At least people liked him. But to the one who thinks he can do something to inherit eternal life, Jesus gives him the law. But to the one who thinks he has no chance in hell of ever receiving grace from God, to that man he gives grace. To the one who thinks he can save himself, he gives him the law. And to the one who thinks he cannot be saved, Jesus gives him grace. Huh. Not like we would do. Under the law, the man went away disappointed. Under grace, Zacchaeus was liberated. Huh. Under grace, Zacchaeus gets up from lunch what does he say? He says, I declare from this moment on, I will give back to those I robbed four times what I took from them and I will sell half of my possessions and give it to the poor. Under law, one rich young guy couldn't even give a dollar. Don't tell me. Giving is an Old Testament law thing. Rubbish. You give out of grace. Grace under law. One man doesn't give a dollar. Under grace, one man becomes generous. Generosity is not an expression of have to. It's an expression of your love relationship with Jesus. Grace opens your life, opens opportunity, blesses others. The law shuts the door, shrinks your life, makes you focus on the wrong things. I've got one last scandal if I could today, if you don't mind. The big one often gets talked about and for some strange reason we've been mentioning it the last few weeks. So here we go. The woman was caught in the act of having sex. She's married, having sex with another man, married or not, who knows, but the Bible calls it adultery. Make good conversation in the car with your kids on the way home, by the way, that topic. Caught in the act, she was thrown to the floor. Not outside like we sometimes assume, but the Bible says that she was thrown on the floor in the temple where Jesus was speaking, right at his feet. So I imagine she's not quite fully dressed. She's certainly embarrassed. We've said it before, so we won't go there, but where on earth was the man? That's another story. Um, and what happens is this. Immediately, the Pharisees say to them, according to Moses' law, Jesus, this woman should be punished by having stones thrown at her. So it's a test. If Jesus says, no, we're not doing that, then Jesus is breaking law. If he goes light on her and lets her go, everyone's up in arms as well. But Jesus does this strange thing. He gets down on his knee. You know, we've heard this. And he starts to right on the floor. Now, something changed with me a year ago. Annette and I were in Israel. You know, those days you could fly. Remember those days? We're in Israel three weeks before lockdown too. And uh, we were standing in the temple. 
And the tour guide said something, and it, it didn't seem like much, but it struck me. He, he said that we're in the temple where this scene happened, and it's worth noting that the floor is not dirt, it's stone. It's stone. And I had this thought, I wonder if Jesus, and who knows, but I just wonder if Jesus, because here's the men are trying to tell him about the laws that were written on stone by Moses all those years ago. And Jesus gets down and he starts writing on stone. And I wonder if he was just in that moment, I wonder if he's saying, who are you to presume who gets to write on the stone? I am, by the way, the one who wrote on the stone back then with Moses. I am the embodiment of the law. And he's writing on the stone as if to say, you guys, you don't know the power I hold. Not to trap people, but to release people. And he does this amazing thing. Who would have thought a perfect answer? He says, here's what we're going to do. You're right, according to the law, you can throw a stone, but here's how we're going to do it. The person who has never, ever done anything wrong, you get to throw the stone. And we know that rock by rock, people began to drop. But to me, the most amazing thing was this, that the Pharisees were now not qualified to throw a stone. Jesus, because he was sinless, he was qualified to throw a stone, but he chose not to. Scandalous. Amazing grace that we serve a God who probably has every right to punish us or judge us for the list of things, small and large, that we've done. But this weekend is a celebration of outstanding grace whereby anyone, though you have somebody standing over you, judging you, Jesus, who could rightfully judge, has chosen to take that judgment on his behalf, on our behalf, so that you don't have to carry it any longer. I think sometimes we do forget about the power of grace. I said this statement in the last gathering, and I'll say it to finish today. I don't mean this to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for, maybe facetious or or overcompensating here. But I've followed God all my life and I have an ever-growing um, learning of his grace. Like a, I'm talking like in my spirit, keeps me alive in my spirit about his grace. And you know what I often think? Why is the world, why aren't they all following Jesus? It's good news, people. It's a great story. It's not one of restriction, but liberation. It's not one of limit, but expansion. It's, it's not, we have, and as Annette will talk about today, we have these benefits that come with God. That he doesn't just forgive us our sins, he sets our life on track. He heals us, he provides for us. He's the source of all that we want. He never lacks anything. It's the good news of the gospel. And of course today, remembering that Jesus got up out of a grave. What an incredible thing that is, that he ultimately, he defeated death itself. And it means this, that you can confidently know that not only does Jesus hope to give you life here now, but he makes a promise to give you eternal life. And that eternal life is available to anyone who believes. Not anyone who fulfills the law, not anyone who says, what must I do? But anyone that says, I don't think I'm a chance, 
And God says, to those people, I give my grace. Let me pray for you as Annette comes today. Father, I thank you. This room, we said just the other day, you don't see crowds, you see people. You don't see failure, you see future. You don't see death, you see life. I reckon there are people here today that need to hear a message of inclusive, not exclusive. We pray, Lord, we ask that you would do something amazing in people's hearts and heads today. And and that leads us in communion, that this would even be a time where we reflect again on the great things, but maybe for some today it would be the first time that they take a step towards you in a way that changes their life forever. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please connect with us at a differentlight.com.au or join us at one of our Sunday gatherings.